Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 18. You know, as we were worshiping, man, that, that phrase in that song just really hit me that God just spoke to me as we were singing um, How He Loves Me, that He's unwilling to share us. He's unwilling to share you with anybody, with anything. He is not willing for you and I. To, let, me, let me begin with this. That the whole reason that we come to church is, and I, I believe we've gotten away from a lot of the things that God really wants us to um, lock in on so that we can experience his presence. David had a lifelong pursuit. Do you know what his lifelong pursuit was? King David. It was to create a place where God's presence could come, right? Because, you know, he, he, the ark was in a barn. I mean, it was stored away. It was in a box somewhere. And, and there it sat, and here David then says, no, I, I want to bring the presence of God to my city. I want to bring it to the city of David. And so he tried to. You remember he tried to, but he did it, didn't do it the prescribed way. And so there was a death as a result of it. So then the ark couldn't come. And then he realized, oh, there is a prescribed way to bring this ark in. And then what happened? Then they went and they brought it correctly. And then the ark came in. But then that wasn't enough for David because David's going, wait a minute, I'm in an ivory palace and the ark of the covenant, the presence of God is in a tent. This isn't right. And he said, I want to build a temple for the Lord. Why does he want to build a temple for the Lord? To give him a resting place that it would be a resting place for his presence to come and to fill that temple so that God's presence would be right there with David. I mean, there's no wonder why God called him a man after his own heart. Because the only thing David want, wanted was God's presence with him and in him. And yet the tabernacle, later the temple, became about so many other things other than the presence of God. You know, I could see where disillusionment would settle in, you know, because the temple, there were all these prescribed ways that, you know, they, they had to make the sacrifice every year. And only once a year was when the priest got to come into the temple and even stand before the ark. And they had to tie a rope to him in case he died so they could drag him out. And yet Jesus dies on the cross. And what happens when he dies on the cross? The curtain in the temple is ripped in two. This wall that separates you and I from the presence of God is ripped in two. And so now you and I have access where we can go way beyond the outer curtain of the temple, which, by the way, is called the way. And you come through that, and then you have, right, the altar of sacrifice. This is where many Christians stop. They stop at the altar of sacrifice, the cross. This is where Jesus died. Oh, thank you for the cross. And, and they stop there, though. Thank God for the cross. But, but they stop there, and they don't continue on to the labor. They don't continue on 
to go through the next curtain into the holy place. That next curtain is called the truth because in there is the truth of his word. And then you come into there and now you're getting close to the presence of God. And so there's this progression that's supposed to happen where if I'm worshiping though and my eyes are on other people around me or if I'm serving God and my eyes are on the people, then I haven't even made it into the outer court yet. I'm still in the camp. And I think sometimes that's what happens in worship is is we don't make it past that first curtain of the way to get into the outer court because, well, man, if I raise my hands, man, you know, they might think I'm a fanatic. Well, that would be a bummer. They might think you actually believe this. And, and I believe that God wants to take us so much deeper than we've gone. And we've not allowed him to. And so this last week as I was reading, God was just really sharing some things with me uh, in my daily, daily Bible reading from Genesis chapter 18. So how many of you are there, Genesis chapter 18? You got your digital device, you got your paper. How many of you still carry a paper Bible? Come on. Yeah. Man, it's so good to see Scott, Michelle, Monica in here. Love you guys. Man, Scott's been ministering in the jail. And, uh, and, and that's why they're not here on Sunday. And Monica, sorry. But, you know, you, sorry, I've seen you a few more times. So, yeah. But both of them, she goes in with the women and gets crazy. And, um, and some, Kim goes in there as well. And Scott ministers to the men, and it's amazing what God's doing. Genesis chapter 18. Sorry for messing that up there. Look at verse 1. Genesis 18, look at verse 1. It says, The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance of the tent. During the hottest part of the day, he looked up and he noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran out to meet them, and he welcomed them, bowing to the ground. Now, this is the reason that I am sharing this verse, this particular verse with you, is because Abraham is the one that God decided to make a covenant with. There's a reason that he did. It was because of the way that Abraham honored God and his presence. I want you to notice this. Look at the very first thing that happened in verse 2. It says that he looked up and he noticed three men standing nearby. Number one is that, God, that he noticed the presence of God had come to visit. You know, when, uh, when my granddad passed away, my granddad and I had a very special relationship, and he was the kind of man that grew up in the Depression, and he wore the suits with the skinny ties, you know, but he always wore a fedora, and he always tilted it, wore, wore it tilted. Some of you, your dad or grandfather did that. And, and so when he died, my grandmother asked me, is there anything that you would want? I said, I would love to have his fedora. So she gave me that hat, and I wore it all the time. It was in the early 80s, and even back then, it was really cool to wear a fedora. You know, even they kind of, you know how things circle back around. Some of you are shaking your heads, you remember. And, and I would wear that, and when Nicole saw me for the first time, I had my grandfather's fedora on. And she said, that was the first thing I noticed about you, was your grandfather's hat. Well, do we notice him when he comes in? Do we recognize his presence when he enters the room? 
Do we recognize it? See, God's presence doesn't always look like what we thought. I mean, here comes three men, or three men suddenly appear. He's just sitting at the, at the front of his tent. And, he, and it says that he looked up and he noticed three men standing there. So they're not even walking toward him. What did he do? He ran out to meet them. Man, he recognized that presence. So we've had many people that have come to vision. That, and we've heard this comment over, over and over where people have said, man, I sensed the presence of God when I was there. We had another uh, young lady, I remember one time, she couldn't stay in a service. She had so much anxiety that the music, the lights, the, the sound, the, the video, it, it, would, it would rile her up so much she would literally have to leave the service and sit in the lobby and watch it on the television. She came up to me with tears in her eyes one day and she said, I, the, I've never been able to stay in the church service. This is the first service I've been able to stay in. And I just looked at her and the Holy Spirit told me it was, it's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. We've had other people that have come and they've sat in service and they've cried the entire service. What's going on? What is it about the presence of God that would cause people to cry? Well, I'll, I'll make it real clear. He, man, he's so big and powerful that our physical bodies can't handle his presence. So something's going to happen. Something's going to happen and it's going to be good when it's, when it's him. Amen. So, so we want to recognize him when he arrives. So think about this. Mary Magdalene, she's at the tomb. And Jesus, he's already been crucified. It's three days later. Here she is. Remember the Sabbath happened and she couldn't come until that day following. And here she is at the tomb. And Jesus, of course, is gone. He, followed, made his, he folded his clothes, set them on, and he leaves, right? And here she is. And she's got tears in her eyes. And this man begins to talk to her, and she thinks he's the gardener until suddenly she recognizes him. You remember there, another time there were two men walking down the road, and suddenly Jesus appears with them, and he's walking with them, and he says, what are you guys talking about? And they said, oh, they said, what are you, a foreigner? Haven't you heard about Jesus who we thought was the Messiah that was crucified and and, they, and then Jesus began to open scripture to them. And then when they got to where they were going, it, they didn't recognize him until he broke bread. But let me, let me bring up another one. You remember Peter, he said, I'm going fishing. All the disciples go with him, right? They're out on the boat. They fish all night. They catch nothing. They're, about, they're almost back to shore. And Peter hears this man yell from the shore, did you guys catch anything? He said, no, we caught nothing all night. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you'll get a catch. He throws his net and what happens? They can't pull in all the fish. I mean, they're having difficulty. But I want you to notice something. They're trying to pull in the fish, but who's looking at the man on the shore? John. John is looking at the man on the shore going, and he said, Peter, that's the Lord. John recognized him. John, who was the disciple that Jesus loved, he was the disciple that laid his head on his chest. He was the disciple that Jesus said, my mother is now your mother, and, and you're her son. And John took his mother into his house, and he took care of her for the rest of her life. But John recognized him as my point. He recognized his presence. Why? He, had, he was at a different love level. Every time you see John, John is closest to the Lord. 
All right. So at times, he chooses to come in obvious ways. At times, he chooses to come in unfamiliar ways. Amen? So, so we need to become familiar with him and recognize him. And so as we press into his presence and we spend more time in his presence, then we recognize it more easily. <clears throat> you know, and I think sometimes people are just looking for such, they, they, they set their expectation. Have you ever had your expectations let down yeah. at Christmas or something? Yeah. Thought you were going to get something? Saw a box that was about the right size and then you opened it up and went, oh, stink. <laughs> something else I got to take back, <laughs> you know, I mean, or something else. Oh, man, that wasn't what I wanted, right? Because your expectation was let down. Well, Kenneth Hagin said this. He said, many times, often, he said, oftentimes people miss the supernatural because they're looking for the spectacular. Whoa. Well, are we sometimes, do we sometimes have an expectation of how God is going to come and what his presence is going to look like when it comes that we absolutely miss it? Mm. Wow. So the presence of God is not something that we as Christians can regulate. Okay. Um, you know, you think about the government, you think about somebody who abuses a part of the system and then what happens regulation comes in right they they begin to regulate it so nobody can do that again right uh, well I can how right would it be for me I, how, how can we regulate God moving in a service to ministry time God ministry time happens between 1045 and 1057 so it'd be great if you could just the room I'm sorry but God doesn't work for you. He doesn't work for us. And what should happen, and this is what we're going after in the church, so I hope this, you know, I mean, if it, it doesn't matter, we're going after it, is that when his presence shows up, every, the agenda burns up. It burns up. I mean, we have a plan. The Bible says to a man in his heart makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. So, hey, the Lord may want me to go left. Okay? This is not political. This is kingdom. He may want me to go in this direction. He may want us as a church to go here. Sometimes, it was a couple weeks ago, and, man, worship was going. And Steve, I remember, was playing the cajon back there. And, man, they got on this groove, and it was like the presence of God filled the room. Do you guys remember that? It was... It was Thank you. I was in my bedroom. I, I have a prayer. Uh, I like to pray in my bedroom, and then we have a large closet. I like to pray, or a large bathroom. That I like to pray in that area. And anyway, man, I was just on my knees. Just I, I wasn't doing anything in particular. I wasn't going after him. I wasn't asking him for something. I wasn't saying, God, more of you, more of you, more of you. You know, I think literally if he began to give us more, we would go, no, stop, stop. I, I literally do. I think we would just be like, I can't take anymore. But I was, I was literally just worshiping God on my knees, just praying. And man, the presence of God just filled that room. Suddenly, man, tears just begin to stream from my cheeks. And I wasn't crying about anything in particular. But his presence is amazing. Man, he wants so much, but we can't regulate this. 
We can't regulate him and say, okay, God, you, I mean, I mean that's, like, that's like trying to give God your life. And he sees your house and he's like, okay, so what's in that room? No, no, that's nothing. I can't, I can't regulate. God is not going to be part of anything. Because in him is all things. Amen. That's a, that was a great place to say amen. So, you know what regulation says? It says, I don't trust you. All right. Okay. Number two. What was the second thing? <laughs> that, was, that was better than what I remembered. Um, the, so, he said, he said, he looked up and he noticed three men standing nearby. But when he saw them, he ran to meet them. That's number two. Run to meet him. Why is this important? I remember my, my coach in high school. He used to say, son, don't walk on my field. You run when I call you. I, he was a rough coach, but, but I needed it. I needed some roughness in my life. <laughs> you know. And so, so sometimes when we long for someone's arrival, and, and we have this expectation that they are coming, like man you know somebody somebody really is is important and they're meeting you somewhere and you're excited about it you're going to be quick to greet them aren't you and think about this man i mean let's just it, this happens anywhere in your home or in your personal life but you think about sundays in here the king is gonna come oh my word man when the king not just in not, I, I, think, I think we've heard King of Kings so many times that, that it's, it's become disillusionment in a way. No, the king, the king is coming. And so what I really desire to see happen is that we just roll out the red carpet, man, and just say, God, come in. Come in and fill this place with your presence. You know, and so we want to be ready to meet him. We want to run to meet him. You remember Jesus shared the parable about the ten virgins, and there were five that had their, they had their candles trimmed, and they had oil for their lamp, and they were ready. What happened when the bridegroom came? They went in. Who didn't get to come in? The ones that weren't ready, right? So, <clears throat> the third one was he welcomed them. After he greeted them, he welcomed them. Why is this important? The Spirit of God comes where he's welcomed. Yeah. If he doesn't feel welcome, he's not going to come. If we have another agenda, and we are not willing to alter what we're doing to accommodate him, he's not going to come. Wow. And then number four, he bowed down. What does this signify? He went low. What is he saying? I am relinquishing my rights. I am relinquishing what I want to do. And let me tell you, my daughter's birthday canceled. God, <laughs> that was kind of mean. But I mean, you know, everything else is off the plate. What you want reigns, rules in my life. Man, wow, he went low. Wow, let me say this. This is important. 
Before he comes, he's the guest of honor. But when he arrives, he's the host. Okay. Um, I've been reading this book by Arthur Murray. Uh, really good book um, called Absolute Surrender. Listen to what he said. He said, if I am something, then God is not everything. But when I become nothing, God can become all. And the everlasting God in Christ can reveal himself fully. Why? You're out of the way. Out of the way. So verse 3. You're there in Genesis 18. Verse 3. He said, my Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. So number five is he provided a resting place for the king. He provided a resting place. And as I was saying, this was David's lifelong pursuit. And that's our prayer for Vision Church, that we would become a resting place for his presence here. But notice he said, if it pleases. What does that do? That removes anything from my life that wouldn't please him. When we find out what pleases him, then it causes us to want to remove that so that his presence can come and fill that part of our life. Man, in John 4, verse 23, this is really interesting. You know what? Turn over there because I'd like you to see this. John chapter 4. And look at verse 23. <clears throat> you guys there? Say amen if you're there. Okay. Verse 23 says, but now Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and they're having a discussion about worship. And he said, but the time is coming indeed. It's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. Here's why I bring this up is because God is not looking for worship. He is looking for worshipers. Why? Because He inhabits the praises of His people. So when we worship, God gets to come and be with us. It's, it's all about me and my kids getting to spend time with my kids. God is so big on family. He loves you so, so much that he wants to be with you. And when you and I worship him in spirit and in truth, he comes and he inhabits that worship. And, and, and he's going, "Woo! I get to be with my kids. Lord, where have you been? I've been hanging out with my kids today. I've been hanging out with Phil today. It's been a great day. I got to see my daughter yesterday. She came from, she lives in Tulsa with her husband, Josh, and she came over because she was doing a shoot in Fayetteville, and so she came over at one o'clock. Let me tell you, everything else on my schedule, boop. Yeah, yeah, why? I'm hanging with my girl, my other girl. That's my, that's my one girl here. <laughs> we both, we both did. And think about this. Worship is the shortest pathway into his presence. For that reason, because he inhabits the praises of his people. It's the shortest pathway. Have you ever been listening to a song? Because, man, you can practice his presence this way. And, and I'll listen to a song, and, man, there will be some song that you can just sense there's just this anointing 
on it, that the presence of God fills the room on that song. And it's like you just play that song over and over and over, and the tears keep coming, the tears keep coming, the tears keep coming, and you're thinking, wow, man, there is something on this song. What is it? It's his presence. He inhabits the praises. You're, man, you got praises going on, and he is coming and inhabiting that and it's an awesome experience. Verse 5, Genesis 18. He goes on and he says, And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food for you to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All, all right, they said, do as you have said. Number 6, Abraham honored his presence. He honored his presence that he was there. And so it's a great honor. Such a great honor when he comes. Some of us have talked about great honors in our life where we've, we've been able to meet people. You know, either high up in their company or high up in their, their field of expertise or great athlete or somebody that you look up to, admire and respect. How about the king? When he comes. Wow. And notice he said, let, us, let me bring something to refresh you. This should be our goal on Sunday morning. God, I want to bring something to you to refresh you this morning. I want something that's going to be an aroma that's so pleasing to you that you're going to be going, wow, thank you. Thank you. In Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, the command was given that those who honor me, or it says this, sorry, he's talking to Saul. I, I'm wrong, wrong verse. I said that up with the wrong verse, sorry. But he's talking, to, he's talking to Samuel about Saul. And he said, those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. When we honor him, he honors us in return. It's, but we don't do it to get the honor. We do it because he deserves all the honor, <laughs> all the praise, all the adoration. So like last night, um, I, had, I, have a, I have some projects at home that I need to get done. And so we were working at the warehouse all the way up until about 1 o'clock. And then, and then I get home at 1 o'clock, and now my daughter's there. And that erased everything else on my schedule for the next couple hours. Two, three hours, I got to spend time with her. And so then I, I'm looking at the time, and it's like 3.30, and I'm going, okay, I want to get this project done. But I had been invited to a prayer night last night, a prayer and worship night. Well, it's 3.30. That prayer and worship night starts at 5, and it's in Salem Springs, 30 minutes from my house. So I'm going, hey, God, I really need to get this project done. I said, do you really want me to go to this prayer and praise night? Do you know what the Father said to me, what the Holy Spirit said to me? He said, I'm going to be there. Yeah, thank you, Gary. Somebody really, I mean, it was like, yes, sir, Lord. And you know what? I went, and he was there. He was there. So how many other things is God putting on your heart to go do because he's saying, hey, I'm there? I'm there. I would like you to be there. I have something for 
you there. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 6, chapter 18. Or um, chapter, yeah, chapter 18, verse 6. So Abraham ran back. Now watch what he's doing. Abraham runs back to the tent. He says to Sarah, hurry, get large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough, and break some bread. Don't you think they're wishing for a microwave about now or an oven or something? Then Abraham ran out to the herd, and he chose a tender calf. This is a calf that's still standing. This is a calf that's alive. (laughs) And he chooses a tender calf, and he gives it to a servant, and he says, quickly, prepare it. Then the food was ready. When the food was ready, excuse me. This is not a slow process. How many hours do you think this took? Long time to get this done. I mean, she needed this this flour into dough. That's not a quick and easy thing. And then he brings it to them. It says, Abraham took some yogurt, some milk, and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Number seven, he didn't appear before God empty-handed. He brought his best to the father, the best flower, the tender calf. Abraham's not eating. He's waiting on the Lord. See, in Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, God told Moses to instruct the children of Israel. He said, he said, the men, when they come to these festivals, the Feast of Tabernacles, they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Mm. Are we... Are, I don't know about you. I'm not willing to appear before the Lord empty-handed. So then look at what happens. <clears throat> he says, where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said this. He said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to the conversation in the tent. Notice this, that the word of the Lord came because of the way Abraham provided a resting place for his presence. The word of the Lord came. Wow. Now, do you think, can I ask this question? Do you think that the way that we honor the Lord in a service has something to do with how much he's able to move? How much of his presence is allowed to fill the room? How many hearts? Man, if we hold back then we could restrict what God really wants to do in service. And I I don't know, I'm not willing to do church for the sake of just doing church. I'm not interested in wowing people with lights and amazing music. And it's all about Him. It's always been all about Him. It's never been about us. Sorry, I don't mean to burst any bubbles, but well, yeah, I do, because your bubble shouldn't be big anyway. You shouldn't have a bubble. We should be popping that bubble and saying, no, God, it's all about you. It was, and I, many of you, I've shared this testimony of, 
you know, when we were in, living in Louisville, Kentucky, and we were doing all kinds of things in ministry, we had so many irons in the fire, I couldn't keep them all lit. I mean, they were flopping and flipping out, and I mean, it, it just, we were doing a lot of things and not being very successful at really any of them except one, which was outreach. Man, outreach was, wow. And I remember I came to a place where I just said, Lord, and I got down on my knees and I was in my basement and I said, Lord, I'm not doing anything else until you tell me what you want me to do. And in three months, we were on the road traveling full time with this ministry called The 99. They came here three different times. This walk-through theater experience that presented the gospel, led people to Christ. We, deal with, we, we dealt with seven suicides every weekend, at least, minimum. I mean, it was, I had no idea that that was what God wanted me to do. But that's what happens when you surrender to the river. It carries you where God wants you to go. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. <clears throat> this is not a beat-up session. This is a love session. <laughs> this is this is lit so much from my heart because I, I've seen I've watched church become about so much other than Jesus. I've heard messages preached where there's not even a scripture given where you know it's about it's so much about telling great stories. My heart it got so convicted because this pastor said to me. He said, are you spending more time researching stories or studying the word? I just went, I mean, that, that, I spend more time, fortunately, reading scripture, but I, I was like, oh, man, that, that will convict your heart. Because I feel like in the midst of that, it's not the story, I, stories are good. I, Jesus used stories, okay? I'm, I'm not saying you can't use stories. But I'm just saying, when it becomes about how entertaining can I be and how much can I get you to laugh, then it's no longer about him. He is the, he, he's the answer. Every question you have, he's the answer. So I want to pray for you this morning. <clears throat> wow. Wow, wow, wow. See, we can... We're going to make him a resting place here. <clears throat> I mean, I don't want one of those short runway airports. I want the long runway where the big airplane can land. You know, I want this place to be flooded with his presence. I want the Holy Spirit to be looking around this room going, wait, wait, wait. I don't know where to go first. There's so many open doors. I mean, of course he would. He would know how to go through all of them. But do you imagine how freeing that is for the Holy Spirit to feel like, oh man, wow, I've got an open door. I've got an open door. I've got an open door. But I'll tell you, in our lives, then what's going to need to happen is we're going to have to walk in purity and holiness. We're going to have to prepare our hearts so that Jesus had a way. What did, what did John the Baptist say? He said, prepare the way. He said, every mountain will be brought, down, brought low. What's he talking about? The pride in our life will be brought low. 
He said the crooked places will be made straight. What crooked places? The sin that's in my life. And why will all these things happen? The mountains brought down, the crooked places made straight, the rough places made smooth. Why? So that God has a highway into your heart. He has a highway into this room. So that's the first thing we got to get square. So would you bow your heads all around the room? <clears throat> if that's you, and you say, yeah, there's, man, there's things in my heart. This morning as we were singing that song, that first song that really touched me, or the second one, I mean, um, there was a phrase in there that said, I don't have time to maintain regret when I think about how he loves me. So maybe you're here and maybe you have unforgiveness or regrets. Maybe you look back. Maybe your kids have blamed you for things and, you, and, and you've held on to that regret. I wish I could have been a better parent. Or maybe your, your spouse has done the same, a similar thing and you've felt that way in your heart and you've hold, held on to regrets. Or maybe you look at you know, poor decisions that you made and you've allowed the enemy to just beat you up and beat you up because of where you were and your past is forgiven and it's time this morning to forgive yourself to allow the forgiveness of the Holy Spirit to flow through you so that you can release that regret from the past or maybe you're here and you have sin in your heart and you know that you need to release that you need to get rid of it and you need to confess it before a loving father who loves you so much that he wants to forgive you he doesn't just want to cover sin he wants to remit it he wants to erase it from your life if that's you i want to pray